Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to yet another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. I'm your host for this evening, Randall Sanders. Happy to be joined, by, as always, by Jeremy Spector. Jeremy, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing really good, Randall. And you know why I'm doing good? Because the Cubs just swept the Oakland Athletics, and they just had a 5-1 and one West Coast road trip. So I'm doing very, very well, Randall. I hope Couldn't you're doing well as well. Couldn't agree more. That's a fantastic reason to feel good. Ronan is off this evening. He's preparing for his upcoming weekend trip to Chicago. He has a lot of proper authorities to notify about this trip and a lot of motorcades to organize, but that's more for the protection of the people around him uh, than it is for his protection. So, you know, a lot of uh, a, a lot of logistics he needs to organize. He will be back next week. Uh, Jeremy, you touched on it, but what more can we say? What a road trip for the Cubs. They go through Southern California. And then Northern California, they take two of three in Los Angeles, a place that has not been kind to them in recent seasons. And then they go to Oakland and they do what they're supposed to do against just an awful team and their in-house marsupials. And they sweep Oakland in the beautiful Oakland Coliseum, duct tape, sewage, possums, and all. That's exactly right, Randall. Uh, You nailed it, in my opinion, when you said they do what they're supposed to do. Look, everybody knows the Oakland Athletics are a very bad baseball team. They're not a good baseball team. Everybody knows that. Like, so you don't, obviously you can't really build yourself up from beating the Oakland Athletics, but, but there's a, but to me there, you have to like, if you want to be a competitive team, you need to beat those teams. You need to pound those teams, as I would say. And what did the Cubs do when they went to Oakland? They pounded them. They outscored them, I believe, by 23 runs on a run differential. 26 to 3 was the total runs. That was not, you know, it was one thing to like, okay, maybe we'll squeak by or whatever. Yeah, they're not a good team, but the Cubs took care of business. They did what they're supposed to do. They got the shutdown uh, from the pitching and the offense went off. So to me, I look at that as very successful series. Uh, I, you know, Randall, I know you... I always, yeah, they're a bad team, but I think it was pretty successful. Absolutely. We would we would be screaming bloody murder, relatively speaking. We don't do a whole lot of screaming or bloody murder on the show, usually. Uh, but we would not be happy if the Cubs had gone into Oakland and struggled, uh, even in wins, or if, heaven forbid, they had uh, lost a series in Oakland. You have to beat who's in front of you, even when the, the Rays were on their undefeated start and they were beating up on a whole lot of bad teams. You still have to beat the teams in front of you. And that's exactly what the Cubs did this series is they went in and they beat the team. They beat the team that was uh, staring them in the face and they beat them handily and they beat them uh, convincingly. And they did exactly what you're supposed to do in a series like, like this. How many times have we seen them face off against a team like that and struggle and come away going, God, that was just an awful series against a bad team. You're exactly right. Like I was going into this series being like, they have to, in my opinion, if we want to be competitive, we need to sweep this team. This is a team you need to sweep. And I, I don't want to drop a game. And yeah, you could have argued, okay, a two and one road trip to Oakland would have been successful, but I thought we have to sweep them. Look, we got the Dodgers and the Padres coming up as we'll talk about later. You're going back into Wrigley. You're five games over 500 in April in the first 20 games of the season, uh, 17, technically uh, you're five games over 500 that I, I think any Cubs fan entering this year would have been ecstatic if you would have told them that. And to do that, to, to go to Oakland, to sweep them, to go to L.A., as we talked about before, you take two out of three. Could have been a sweep. They're, what, what, a foot away from sweeping this entire road trip? Like, that's pretty impressive, I think. And, look, there's some guys right now on this club that we were kind of skeptical of, and it's early in the season. But they're they're bouncing back a little bit. Cody Bellinger, first start career, five-hit night. Have that wonderful catch in LA where the fans are booing him off of Jason Hayward. How weird was that? And then hits a bomb later there. Like Cody Bellinger is looking like a legitimate baseball player. I'm ecstatic to see what Cody Bellinger is going to do this year. He didn't just hit a bomb, he hit a bomb that proved to be the decisive run in that series clinching victory. They, they have, he, of course, hit that to put them up three to one. They ended up winning three to two. So Bellinger doesn't hit that against his beloved former team. Who knows what could happen? Strange things happen in Dodger Stadium when you get into the late innings. And uh, the Cubs managed to stave that off. I think the umpire did them a couple of favors uh, in that ninth inning on Sunday. But how many times have the umpires just completely screwed the Cubs in the other direction? So I I think some some correction was required and the Cubs got that. You mentioned, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask you specifically how you felt about 
Bellinger, that whole situation of Bellinger and Hayward and robbing the home run and just how weird and awkward that whole thing felt. Well, Jeremy, it, it's a it's, it's it's a Mobius loop. It just keeps coming back into itself. It's an Ouroboros, the snake eating its own tail. Everything is cyclical. Everything goes in circles. It's just one of those strange, just one of those strange baseball uh, things that happens. You know, two guys facing their former team. Everything, everything weird about it. But it was fun. It was entertaining. And like you said, one ground ball that goes a couple of feet more towards the hole at the in second at second base and the Cubs sweep this series. Yeah. And, and the, the stats that are coming out of this road trip, it was May 11th last year, if I'm not mistaken, that the Cubs won their 11th game. We're it's how it's fun. We haven't had competitive fun Cubs baseball, even if it isn't, even if April isn't over yet, we haven't had competitive fun Cubs baseball in almost two years. And you know, that lasted till what June. Uh, so it, it's fun. It's enjoyable. And it's a good way to start the season. You're exactly right. I mean, Cubs, I believe they've, they've won four series in a row, uh, Seattle, Texas, LA and Oakland. Um, you know, there's a team on the South side of this, this town that hasn't won a series all season. So like, I, I'm, you, you tell me the Cubs are going to win four series in a row to very much start this year. I know they, had the rain out in Cincinnati and they lost the first one in Milwaukee, but uh, that's pretty 10 in the last 13, I believe that the Cubs have won. And, you know, you mentioned that end of the game in uh, Los Angeles, I believe uh, the Sunday game, I believe it was the sweep or not sweeper, but to win the series. Uh, yeah. The Cubs got some bailouts there. You, you, you're, you can't argue with that from the umpire, but on the other hand, like you want to put a positive spin on it. Hey man, Jan Gomes, there was a, that first strikeout, especially in my opinion, Jan Gomes set that up. He was right there and, you know, they hit the spot and I, John Gomes has shown, I think a little bit like what to expect behind the plate. He, he hit a couple balls and yeah, he's not Wilson Contreras. He's not going to give you the power that Wilson's going to give you that he's starting to show off in St. Louis, but I think he's been so far a very capable handler of this pitching staff that is pitching so well, and he's given you a little bit of offense. And I think we see kind of the designs that Jed Hoyer had for this team when he decided to let Wilson go and he decided to put faith in Jan Gomes. Um, and so I, 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 I give John a little bit of credit for that. Yeah. The umpire, there was some bad calls, but Jan Gomes, he did a pretty decent job framing those pitches. Yeah. We know the approach the Cubs decided to take with the catching position in uh, not electing to retain Wilson Contreras in making Jan Gomes a starter. And then in bringing in Tucker Barnhart at the, as the backup. But like you said, Jan Gomes is giving you, a little bit of offense right now. I'm not giving you a ton. He's OPSing 702. But you know, if he's able to do that for most of a season and he's able to give you the framing and he's able to give you the working with the pitchers behind home plate, you would take that. You would you would take that in a heartbeat over a full season. Now, obviously, he's gonna wear down as all catchers do, and he's probably not gonna be even that at that level all season. But right now, he's giving you exactly what you need. And it you know, like you said, this is probably the most optimistic outcome for this roster at the catching position. What Jed had in mind, where you get just enough offense that your starting catcher is in a black hole and you reap the benefits of his work behind the plate. So far, it's all working out as Jed envisioned. And, you know, we, we keep saying sample size. It is only the evening of Wednesday, April 19th, as we record this. But so far, it's all working out as Jed envisioned. Yeah. And, and, and it's and I know just facing Oakland, I discussed that before, but even so far, three weeks into the season, the offense is, is showing up. And one guy who's been a huge driver of that offense is what about the year, the start that Patrick Wisdom has had? I mean, what, five home runs in four straight games. And then he only had a double last night. And then he only had a, a two run triple, a huge triple, a huge double last night, a huge triple today. Like Patrick Wisdom was a guy people were saying, but DFA him last year in April at this time last year, because he couldn't hit, he was striking out, whatever. He's dropped that strikeout rate early in the season. He's dropped it out. He's hitting for tons of power. That ball he hit today would have been out pretty much in any other ballpark. It, he did a triple, whatever, a huge triple. Patrick Wisdom is looking pretty good. And if, Pat, if Patrick Wisdom is giving you stuff and Cody Bellinger is giving you stuff, like if these, this Cubs team could be playing up to its top potential. And that is very exciting as a fan for me. Yeah. And again, fun with sample size. But right now, right. Patrick Wisdom is leading in slugging percentage at 754. And I love this. His OPS plus 187 is 87% better than a league average hitter. And one of those fun early season numbers you t 
take a look at, get to enjoy the the absurdity of it. But he's hitting the crap out of the ball right now. That's a technical term, hitting the crap out of the ball, as Pat Hughes once said about Ron Santo, uh, saying, well, he's just throwing that crap up there. It's a technical term. Uh, but like you said, he homered in four straight games, five home runs over that four-game stretch, six straight games with an extra base hit. So he had an extra base hit, at least one, in every game on this road trip. He, we, the question all offseason who's going to play third base? Going to be Morel? Is it going to be magical? Is it going to be wisdom? Uh, you know, wisdom hasn't played third base the entire time because, of course, Suzuki took his time coming back. But right now, he's your third baseman and he's hitting like you need your third baseman to hit. And he's going to cool off because every player goes through ups and downs. But right now, his at bats are must see because he could potentially every at bat hit a tank 390, 400 feet and you, you want to be there watching it. And Randall, I got a I got a crazy stat for you that would sound unbelievable a couple of years ago, in my opinion. Since I believe August first, twenty twenty one, Patrick Wisdom has hit forty three home runs. Chris Bryant has hit I think fifteen. How that is twenty eight homers more Patrick Wisdom has hit than Chris Bryant, and I know he was hurt and whatever. That is crazy though. You know, not only that, but this is a fun stat I caught this week is that. 2023 Patrick Wisdom is out homering 2022 plus 2023 Chris Bryant. Patrick Wisdom right now has more home runs than Chris Bryant had all of last season, even with the injury and this season. And again, that's a completely meaningless number, a completely meaningless stat, but it is fun to be on the receiving end of a player overachieving a little bit versus on the, uh, I don't know what the opposite of the receiving end, I guess the giving end. Of of a, a huge free agent not quite performing where you would expect him to. So everything about this team is fun right now. We've talked about the offense. I know we will get to the pitching. How about the defense of this team? An inning in Tuesday night's game in which Bellinger glided over and made a great catch on a ball in the gap. And that same inning ended with, uh, of course, Dansby Swanson sliding backwards to backhand a ball and get it to second in time for the final out of the inning. The, the defense has more than done its part for this team in the early going. Yeah, that that's, and once again, that's what Jed planned on. Like we're signing a team of elite defenders. We're upgrading this defense from where it was last year. Part of, when Cody Bellinger signed, uh, we discussed it a, a lot. And, but part of the reason we were so excited about Cody Bellinger signing was, okay, maybe we won't get the Cody Bellinger of 2019, the offensive behemoth that he was. Maybe we won't even get what we're seeing right now. We didn't know he'd be like a legitimate hitter right now, but we do believe we're going to get really good outfield defense. And we do believe we, we knew last year, the Cubs were really bad in center field and outfield defense. They were, I believe third worst in defensive front saves among all teams in center field. That is a big upgrade. When you go from like third worst to amongst the best in the league, that's like, you could argue probably a four win upgrade right there, just in terms of being like two wins down to two wins up. Uh, that is, and we saw it from, like, I, I haven't really looked into the stat cast numbers on that, but that play, when that ball was hit, I was, you know, watching and being like, Cody, get on your horse. I, I think he could get that. I don't know if he can, but I, and when he, he just glided over on those long legs, those long strides and just caught it in stride. And it, uh, to me, it was extremely impressive. And I, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I thought that ball was in the gap. Absolutely. I didn't think there was any chance of him running it down. I thought at best, maybe he can uh, kind of not get there, knock it down and hold into a double, but no, he, he glided over. He catches the ball in stride. He gently goes up against the wall. It, it, poor Ian Happ almost got run over by Cody Bellinger, of course, because he's not used to having a great defensive center fielder. He's used to playing alongside Rafael Ortega and he almost got run over by Cody Bellinger coming in on a ball because he's used to having to take charge in that outfield. So <laughs> you, you don't think of good defenders as running into each other, but it's an adjustment for the corner guys too, Ian Happ, because he's not used to playing with a center fielder of Bellinger's caliber. And the, the defense has stood up even in a very difficult outfield to play in Oakland. Exactly right. Very difficult. A lot of room. You know all that foul territory, and you're right. You you mentioned that Dansby sliding kind of play in that same inning. Dansby, he had a little bit of issues a little bit uh, the past couple of days with some throwing errors. But, yeah, he he looking remarkable. We know about Nico at second base, how good he is. Uh, we, we know about Ian Happ winning a gold glove last year. 
Patrick Wisdom, yeah, you know, probably not the top. Odin's giving you the power and whatever. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna, you can make fun of me all you want. I, I've been somewhat. I don't know. You know, we at first base, we're gonna need a little more power. But I do think Eric Hosmer has has done some things defensively, some picks and scoops that you know Trey Mancini had a ball in Los Angeles that I was like, well, if Hosmer was out there, he probably would have had that one. Uh, so I some things there. I think right now he's probably the best defensive first baseman on the team, unfortunately. But yeah, the defense is 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 a huge part of this Cubs team. Like we didn't expect this Cubs team to put up the numbers that they have offensively. And they are doing it so far, but they're they're gonna slow down, as you said. Small sample size, up and downs. But the defense has been electric, has been ex- uh, very exciting to watch. And uh, that is something we expect to stay with this team this whole year. And watching, you know, getting Cody Belger in center field, that makes your other outfielders better because he can go get balls that they don't have to worry about um and we know about ian hopefully say when he comes back uh or i mean he is back but back playing more regularly uh is is, is more that defense approves now that he knows more ballparks and so yeah i'm i'm very excited about this defense and and it's really helping out this pitching staff and i think Saya's defense will be just fine there were a lot of uh lightly hit balls into right field that i was so used to seeing drop in in the first few in the first week or so of the season to see say out there as a, a much more calming presence. He's much more able to come in on some of those balls and make catches much more able to move towards the line and make catches. You know, this is, this is a good outfield defense and about Hosmer, you know, I don't think any of us here are necessarily in love with him. Uh, the range is not great, but if the ball is near him, he'll probably pick it, which is good again with some of these infield throws and the best part about Eric Hosmer is that you know that as soon as he runs out of juice, and offensively he's getting there, the ground ball percentage is sky high, the decent numbers he was putting up early in the season, they're starting to crater. You know that there is going to come a point where he's been used up, you've rung everything you've got to ring, and you've got a pretty good first baseman sitting down there in the minors who is absolutely raking for your AAA team. You know, how many Cubs teams, I've, a lot of times, I've no third time this, this show I've said how many, but we've seen a lot of Cubs teams where you have one position or two positions that are just a complete black hole and there've been no reinforcements coming. And that's not an issue for this Cubs team. You have two guys at least at your top minor league level in Matt Mervis and Christopher Morell, who are both ready to come up and potentially fill positions of need as certain other guys falter. We haven't seen reinforcements waiting in the minors like that in quite a while. It, it is pretty crazy to think about the fact that right now, the way this team is performing, there is like an obvious kind of hole, right? There's an obvious hole. And that hole is you're not really getting any offensive production and, and not really getting any power from first base. And that that's, that's just the fact that yes, Eric Hosmer hit a home run today. Um, hopefully if for how much longer he stays with the Cubs, he can continue to hit the ball in the air more like that because he's been more successful when he's done that. But there is an obvious hole on this roster and you guys have all noted it. But the weird thing is the crazy coincidence, I guess, is that the Cubs have the fix, hopefully at least a prospect of a fix to this obvious hole, where their most major league ready prospect is literally a first baseman who has power. And it's just kind of crazy. This, and yeah, nobody, we we didn't want, I, at least I know Ron and I, and I, I'm sure you did agreed with us was, Randall, uh, we didn't want Matt Mervis to be given the job. No. We didn't want him to like come out of spring training like this is your job. We want him to come go and get it, right? And right now, you can argue that that's what he's doing. He's performing in AAA. He's hitting the ball hard. He's doing what he needs to do to put himself in to get that position to be the guy. And I assume at some point soon, if the Cubs want to be a competitive team for this year, that decision is going to be made. And Matt Mervis will be performing like even if you want to keep Hosmer, I don't know what Luis Torres is bringing you as the DH, right? Or Mancini, like. I, I I think there's room on this roster as it is right now to bring Mervis up, give him at bats. It's still, if you want to keep that clubhouse culture or whatever, I don't know, but I, I do expect Matt Mervis to be with this team at some point in the next two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely coming. Like we said, he, he hasn't just been hitting at triple a Iowa. He has been walking. He's been getting on base. The extra base power is there. Like we've said, you have a glaring need on this team, but you have at least a potential fix for that glaring need. And, you know, three weeks into the season, I don't think we expected that Trey Mancini 
would be the complete black hole. I think we were happier about yeah. him than we were about Hosmer. I Mancini's agree. given you so precious little. And Hosmer has, I don't want to say acquitted himself, but he hasn't been the complete pit offensively. He's going to get there because, again, the numbers have started to plummet, and I don't think they're going to stop plummeting. I don't think there's whatever the downward version of a plateau is. Can you plateau downwards or can you only plateau upwards? I feel like if you're a plateau, you're just kind of stopped. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think the numbers are going (laughs) to flatten out. I don't, I think they're going to keep dropping, but you know, and I don't think they would do this because I think Hosmer and Mervis are both kind of similar offensively. They're both the the left-handed first baseman. I don't think they'd keep two lefty first baseman, but it would be funny if Mancini is somehow the one jettisoned uh, for Mervis's eventual roster spot and they keep Hosmer instead. I don't think any of us would have seen that outcome coming. Yeah. I don't, I don't expect that to happen just because uh, Mervis is a lefty and Mancini is a righty. So I just assume like Hos, the thing about Hosmer is he's a lefty. So he kind of makes it redundant, but I do think Hosmer might be the best defensive as much as it is to say that defensive option out of these guys. I'm not super confident in Mervis's ability. As I said, I, I do think like you could probably, Get rid of like I don't know why the Cubs are. I don't think the Cubs need to carry three catchers. No, and no, you can and get I think, nervous in there, and I think you can get them DHing, so even if you don't want to make that decision right now on those guys. But I, I think that's an option. Yeah, I, I know David Ross likes having three catchers. I know he played very effectively on a three catcher roster down the stretch in 2016. We know he likes having the three catchers. I do think Torrens is probably the first position player who will eventually go. Um, how long that'll be, we don't know. He did have himself a, a decent offensive day today in the big win over Oakland. But, you know, he's not doing a whole lot of catching, which generally a good thing. It means your top two guys are doing their job. But I do think he is probably eventually the first one to go. And we'll talk about the pitching in just a moment. But I see you have something else. Yeah, I, there's one thing I want to get to before the pitching. Another position player who I feel like we got the full gamut of the whole experience of this player over the past few games. And that is Nick Madrigal. Nick Madrigal, we've 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 seen the kind of the the hitting, the singles hitting, the the hitting the the crazy balls. Like he he had a double on a crazy hit to right field. He had an RBI. He's he's done. We've done it, and then we've seen the decision making on the base paths, and we've seen some other things there, and we've gotten kind of a full kind of experience. Got the whole Nick Madrigal experience, and right now he's hitting three forty five. Okay, I he was my guy. I predicted at the beginning of the season he's going to lead the Cubs in batting average. Randall, how are you experiencing, how are you taking this Nick Magical experience right now? I'm taking the Nick Magical experience kind of like a roller coaster. Uh, You know, every day is a new twist. Every day is a new turn. Is he going to have three hits? Is he going to have no hits? Is he going to try and turn a single into a double and be thrown out doing so? Is he going to try and steal second? He's got a little bit of that Wilson Contreras energy to him where he really likes trying to steal second and he's not always so successful. But you know what? I said in the, the win on Tuesday night, um, I, I said, oh, look at the Nick Magical doing his job. He comes up with a runner on third. Uh, he punches a single up the middle. That's his job is to be that pesky little singles hitter uh, when he's in the lineup. And, you know, he's been doing his job. And again, I think the recklessness on the base paths, I, I guess you live with it because occasionally it will turn into something good. I would love to see him maybe rein it back a little bit. But for as long as he's hitting, I have no problem with him getting the occasional start that's what he's here to do he's here to be the little spark plug guy who constantly punches singles through the infield and gets on base or gets that runner in from third as long as he's doing that i'm good with it now the batting average on balls in play is pretty high but he is a high babip guy for his career so it's not like he can't sustain that obviously statistically it's not in his favor but again as long as he's hitting i I don't care just uh, the less we see of him at third base i think the happier i will be Right, he the BABIP is high, but he it pro- he probably won't be that high. He'll probably will drop down uh, for him. But he is that type of guy who's going to get by on kind of a high BABIP. He, he's going to hit a lot of like weak kind of bloops and flares and whatever that he's going to have to beat out at first base. That's going to be his game. Um, but it's just it's just funny to me that it's like he can't put together like a whole kind of sequence of events. It's like he could do something really good and then immediately right, does something really bad. Like that double, you're like, oh, my God. He And he's, he got the second. You're like, wow, that was crazy. How did Magical do that? And then he's thrown out at home. First of all, I want to say he got a great read on that ball. He he did. 
that ball was a uh, base hit. He took off. He knew it was getting down. He was, and I think that's kind of what kind of propelled him to go home on that play was he's like, I got such a good read on this. I'm just going. And <laughs> just there's Willie Harris is like throwing the stop sign. Like, dude, you're going to be thrown out by a mile. And he of course was thrown out at home. Uh, but, and you know, I saw the white Sox fans all over Twitter sharing that play like crazy. Like, Oh, the Nick Madrigal. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but you didn't, Put on why was he on second to begin with? Yeah, because he hit a double. You got it there, and and he's hitting three forty five. And I didn't see you all sharing all his RBI singles and all the other stuff he was doing. And he's made some nice play. He surprised me a little bit at third base. He's made some nice plays. I mean, today he kind of got an out out of play where he I you could debate whether he shoved a guy off at third, but whatever. He was smart enough to to hold the the tag there. So I think he's just kind of fun off the bench. He's going to frustrate you, but he's going to do some fun things. So. I'm actually kind of happy with the Nick Madrigal experience. I don't want it every day, but coming off the bench with that little spark plug, as you said, I think that's a good thing. Well, j- just remember anything that White Sox fans want to share with you, maybe Lysol it before you accept it. You know, there's a safety first, uh, hygiene first, very important. On the topic of a guy who is not necessarily driving us crazy, Nico Horner is embracing these new larger bases. He's currently tied with Cedric Mullins of Baltimore for the league lead in stolen bases at nine. You know, as a leadoff hitter, I was a little skeptical because he's not a guy who walks a whole lot. If he's going to get on base, it's going to be largely batting average driven. But he's doing that right now as well, and he's using that to really good effect. And we're seeing a great leadoff man, a guy who's constantly hitting himself on base, hitting his way on base with line drives, and then immediately he's in a position to steal second. I didn't think the Cubs were going to become this much of a running team with these new rules, but they've gone ahead. They've given themselves a green light and Nico Horner is leading that charge. It's been in Oakland and Nico Horner is an Oakland guy. And of course, Oakland historically has had maybe the, or probably uh, not even arguably the greatest leadoff hitter of all time, Ricky Henderson and Nico Horner growing up as an Oakland guy. I can kind of see that there. Uh, he, he, yeah, he had that homecoming this weekend and he went off in that series. And I, I've been very impressed by Nico. Uh, he's doing everything we kind of hoped for him. Like last year, he kind of had that breakout season and then you're hoping like, okay, hopefully it wasn't a fluke. Is it? Yeah. We thought it was sustain sustainable, but we didn't know where it's going to go. And so far this year, he's been extremely impressive. He's gone back to second. Uh, him and Dansby have made some spectacular plays together already as a double play combo. Uh, we got the extension, which is a key part of this. And yeah, he, I, I just like, I like him as a hitter. Like he's not going to hit the ball extremely hard, but I mean, he, every once in a while he will and he'll pull one, but overall he's not going to hit hard, but he's, he's a good hitter. I, he's kind of what Madrigal is, but just a little bit stronger and a little bit better. Like he can, he can kind of get, drive it with power a little bit to the opposite way. And we see that a lot and he can kind of, you know, he has a more of a line drive swing, but every once in a while he could pull one. And I'm just impressed with him overall. He's got the speed, which is a huge part of his game. As you said, stealing bases, that's been huge for the Cubs. Getting guys in the scoring position, taking that extra base, uh, that's a huge part of this. And I, I've been extremely impressed with Nico Horner, and I, I love the fact that he's going to be around another three years. I know we already had two years, but throw a third year on that. And I, I, I'm a really big Nico Horner fan. Yeah, It's hard not to be, and he's taken that leadoff hitter, uh, role and he has embraced it. He's done everything you need your leadoff hitter to do, which is get on base and then get himself into scoring position. And it's part of Nico's continued evolution. I think we were all counting on a big year for for him, and he has delivered on a you know a big three weeks. But you can't have a big year without having a, a big three weeks. You got to start somewhere. Uh, everything is click. Everything clicked for the team on this particular road trip, and it, it's just been a whole lot to see. Now you mentioned. Uh, Nico Horner and Dansby Swanson, that great double play combination. Who benefits more from that great double play combination than the starting pitching? And in this particular Oakland series, you had finally a good start from Wes Neske. He struggled a little bit in the early going. And then he said he found his slider, he found his release, and he dominated the rest of the way. He retired, was it 14 straight at one point before I finally believe, allowing a single? It was 14. It was 13 and, or 14, yeah. Yeah, and then Stroman and Steele. Stroman, another six-inning shutout start. Steele, another great six-inning you know, it's hard to pinpoint something that wasn't firing on all cylinders in this series and you can't win without great starting pitching. We got a great, great sequence from the five, the one and the two in Oakland. You're right. And uh, there was a little bit of struggles there at some times. And, and Wes Nessie struggled a little bit early. Stroman had a couple struggles. Steele had a couple struggles today, but fortunately, obviously we, we mentioned this Oakland roster is not the best, but you know, they're all major league hitters. They can all do damage. 
Uh, but they were able to figure it out. And hopefully for Wesneski's sake, as you mentioned, like this kind of kind of springboards him or, you know, springs him forth with a pretty good season. Uh, he's kind of settled in. He figured it out. Yeah, maybe it's the Oakland A's. Maybe they're not the best team in the league, but he kind of got into that groove. And when you get in that groove, I I feel like that can carry over. That can kind of get him you know, write it, you know, sometimes you need kind of like, as, as you call him that slump buster or whatever, and you can come out there and, and you get right back and that can propel him going forward into the picture that we saw in spring training, the picture that we saw last year and the picture that we kind of expect him to be this season. And so I think that I, I, I don't want to sound like too excitable about this road trip because yeah, the Cubs are going to kind of come down from them. They're not going to play as great as they have this, this first three weeks. But it was just extremely impressive the way the pitching was this whole road trip, even going back to Los Angeles. Like they dominated. I don't think they they didn't allow three runs in a game, right? The most they gave up was two runs the entire road trip in a I game. I believe that is correct. Yes. And they had a couple, what, two shutouts? Uh, it was, I mean, only one shutout. It was still ex- extremely impressive uh, pitching wise. The whole, the whole, whole gamut pretty much of all the pitchers they got everything they needed on this road trip the vibes are sky high right now we are hoping the cubs of course can keep those vibes going as the dodgers come in to wrigley and before we get to that uh, very obvious segue I, i feel the need to say this as the cubs depart oakland you need to get that stadium situation figured out we mentioned i don't know if it was uh, last episode or maybe the episode prior that uh, Salt Lake City, a group of investors have thrown their hat in the ring as potentially being a, an expansion city. But MLB, of course, has said we're not going to expand until Tampa and until Oakland get those stadiums figured out. I'm not sure Oakland ever gets a stadium figured out. And Ronan's a big Coliseum guy. He's a big kind of Oakland A's is his AL team guy. But, you know, they've been trying for years. They've never been able to get something started. They've never been able to secure the a new site, new construction, anything. It does feel like we're moving towards them moving out of Oakland. And as the Cubs go to this, go to the Coliseum, you know, what does the visiting television crew, Jeremy, have to deal with? They have to deal with a possum, a possum that has made its home. And as the Mets broadcaster said, uh, there were a lot of different euphemisms this weekend for uh, possum shit, possum droppings, possum leavings, possum remnants. This is not a major league stadium right now. The only rodents, the only marsupials you should have to deal with in a baseball stadium are Cardinals fans and Brewers fans, and they're not allowed in the broadcast booth or in the walls. What did you think of the idea and the reporting of the reverse boycott the this event that is going to be held in oakland to sell out the coliseum the fans are going to come in we're going to sell it out because we want to prove it's not the fans it's the ownership and i I, it's kind of an an interesting idea it's a little weird i feel like to boycott by buying tickets and spending money but they are their point is they are they're boycotting already because there's there's been no fans at these games that we've been watching on tv so i'm just trying to get your opinion on that randall the reverse boycott that the oakland fans are starting yeah you know you you really do have to feel for oakland fans we've seen that fan base when that team is good they get rowdy they get wild they rock that building and the building starts to literally shake apart where they have to seal it with duct tape and super glue you know i i feel for those fans because they're not watching a major league product right now and you know there's two schools of thought if nobody shows up to the games do you blame fans for not showing up to see a bad team or you know do you blame ownership for putting a bad team on the field and we've seen it with a lot of bad cubs teams are you a bad cubs fan for still showing up at Wrigley uh, in the years where the, our team is uh, particularly thin you know so it, there's two schools of thought i don't blame oakland fans for whatever an individual fan wants to do if you want to show up to the game and show that it's not the fans more power to you but you know if you want to wash your hands of that team and say I'm not showing up, I'm not giving money to the ballpark to the team. Even if your tickets are secondary, you're not giving money to the team. I don't blame them either. It's a horrible situation. It doesn't look like it's going to get resolved to anyone's satisfaction anytime soon. And I don't blame Oakland fans for being split and not particularly wanting to to be seen as encouraging this team. Yeah, I agree with you. And and it's just crazy. It's a horrible situation. You know, you never want to be in that situation where. Uh, the fans and the ownership and the whole thing. And they're, they're actively flirting with other cities and teams. Um, It just sucks. Um, Before that, before we do move on, I do want to go back a little bit. Cause I do want to go, but I do want to give one Cubs pitcher a shout out or maybe two. 
Uh, how about Mark Leiter Jr.? How about Ooh. the job he has Ooh. done out of the bullpen, out of the fact that the Cubs did not have a lefty going into this year, and they said, well, Mark Leiter Jr. has reverse splits. Well, he's proven so far that he could dominate the lefties, and he's shown that he could dominate, and I've been impressed. And the question I asked is, is Mark Leiter Jr. actually good now? Is he a good – we saw him start, didn't really work out, but he's gone back and forth. He's th- he looked kind of nasty, and – you know, to me, it's like, you know, bullpen guys are fickle, right? They're up and they're down. So it's yeah. like ride this guy until he proves he's not, in my opinion. Well, that's that's the exact answer I gave you when you asked us in the, the famed group text, is Mark Leiter good? And I said, he's good until he's not, until he shows that he starts to struggle, throw him out there in those spots. He came into a huge spot against the Dodgers over the weekend, and he struck out back-to-back Freddie Freeman and uh, Max Muncy, two very tough left-handed hitters, in a huge spot with the bases loaded. That split-finger pitch is nasty, and like you said, he's a reverse splits guy. He's your right-handed lefty in the bullpen. He's the guy you need to go to when you've got left-handed batters who you absolutely need to get out. So he's good until he's not. You said it. Relievers are fickle week to week, month to month, year to year, but he's good until he's not. Until he shows he can't handle it, keep putting him out there in that situation. And not, let's not forget, that's a guy the Cubs took off the 40-man roster this offseason. He was not guaranteed a roster spot. He came into spring. He earned that roster spot. He got himself a real Jersey number. He went from 62 to 38. And we all know 38 is a great pitcher number for the Cubs. And he has entered the, what Boog likes to call the circle of trust. He's a guy that David Ross trusts to go out there and get huge, huge outs in big spots. Yeah, him, him, he's been pitching well. And and Michael Rucker the other day came out and he was in a big spot. I think he he closed out a game. And so yeah, that's just a couple guys I just wanted to note for, you know, and and one other guy that I think Jameson Tayo has pitched pretty well. He's been burned a little bit, but I, I think he's gonna pitch. I, I have faith in Jameson Tayo. I think the way the way his peripherals, I think he has something like an XFIP of like 1.94 or something crazy. Uh so I, I'm 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 excited for Jameson Tyone coming out. I think he's gonna pitch pretty well. Absolutely. And we said that, you know, he's been victimized by his by the defense behind him a little bit. But I think we know that Tyone is enough of a veteran and a capable veteran that he's going to come around. And he, uh, I think, managed to start his upswing this series, this trip, I beg your pardon. So it was a good trip for getting guys back on track. It was a good trip for getting the job done and taking care of business. And hopefully those are vibes that the Cubs can pack up in California, pack up some good California vibes, grab some at the airport, maybe in the form of a snow globe or a keychain, and bring it back to Chicago with you. Yep. And I have one question before we move on for you, Randall. All right. The Cubs have had this kind of hot kind of start, right? They're 11 and six. Yeah, we all... They're coming off of Oakland. They're do we think that this is maybe the true talent of the Cubs? Probably not. We probably don't think that they're like playing at the third best record in the National League type level or whatever. But what for me, I'm gonna ask you, Randall, what will it take for you? Cause because we're all kind of guarded around here, right? Absolutely. We all are expecting we're expecting the downturn, right? What will it take for you to 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 like kind of to get rid of that feeling to like get out of there to, as I would say, take off the cup and and, expo- and just kind of be out there, fully out there, and just be like, all right, this team, I believe in this team. This team could be good. It could be competitive, and we got it going. So what is it? Because in the back of your mind, I know that, like, okay, there's going to be a downturn at some point. What will that take? What do they have to show you to kind of move this kind of forward to that next level? Take off the cup. Was there no better way to phrase that? That's that, the that, way I phrased it. That's Randall. the way you phrased it. Okay. You know, I think – like you said, we are Cubs fans. Uh, you know, there, there's the old uh, optimist sees the cup is half full. A pessimist sees it is half empty. A Cubs fan wonders when the cup is going to tip over. Um, you know, after 2000, after 2021, where they were great, and then it seems like the whole downturn came in the span of about two weeks. If the Cubs can get to, you know, the all-star break seems like a little too long to hedge. If the Cubs can get to the 4th of July for me, and they are still, which, you know, not that far from the all-star break. So I'm not, I'm not really going out of the limb here, but if the Cubs can get to kind of 4th of July vicinity, maybe late June, and they are still a competitive team, I'm probably going to risk getting hurt. And I'm probably going to go all in on this team because I think at that point, you're going to have Mervis up. I think at that point, you're going to have Morell up. And I think there's some other guys in the high minors or even at double a who could potentially come up and impact this team. I think that's when you're going to see some of those decisions made. And I think as reinforcements arrive for some of the 
positions of struggle. And I think, you know, if you can get to late June and this team is still competitive, I think that's what it's going to take for me. So what's what's your threshold for kind of going all in on this team? Well, you make a good point, uh, Randall, about the 2021 season. If you recall the 2021 season, they were terrible in April. Terrible. And everybody was like, oh, this is it. They're done. They're going to get rid of everybody. It's over. It's terrible. And then in May, they went on a run. And they ended up in first place at June 1st. And they were they beat a lot of good teams that in May. They beat the Dodgers. They beat the Padres. They beat a lot of good teams. And for the first two, three weeks of June, they were pretty good. They went to L.A. They threw a no-hitter. And then it all <laughs> fell apart. It all fell apart at the end of June going into July. And you're right. That was kind of like – and then next thing you know, they're like 10 games back at the deadline. And they're, what can you do there? You have to trade. Uh, so you're right. The bottom can fall out at any time, right? So, like, you, the bottom can fall out. And you, to, in order to prove it, you want to want to see a longer term. But for me, it's, I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say I'm going to say, like, Labor Day, man. If we're Labor in Labor Day, Day – and the Cubs are in a playoff kind of contention. And I've been burned by this before. I remember the 1999 Cubs were like 32 and 23 on my birthday, which was June 6th. And they ended up winning like 67 games that season, which is pretty terrible if you think about coming after that. Uh, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to go all in on this team. If they're competitive around Labor Day, if we're in, in a playoff spot, kind of, I'm going in, man. So Labor Day, so all the way to September. So you're not investing completely. Oh. <laughs> I, okay. I, I, Do I we Memorial mean Memorial Day? Day? I, yeah, okay. Memorial Day. I don't, thank you, Randall, for correcting well, me. La- Labor Day, they call Labor Day the Memorial Day of the fall. You're so, right. Yeah, you know, so it, uh, Labor Day can be Memorial Day to somebody if you believe in it enough. I mentioned uh, okay, Memorial so, Day. Okay, so you're all the way to Memorial Day. So you don't even yes. wait till late June. You are late May. If the Cubs are in contention, you're all in. I'm all in. I'm ready to get hurt. I'm all right. Well, hopefully, hopefully this Cubs team in. gives us uh, gives us reason to be all in all the way until September, because that would be a lot of fun. I, I don't know. You know, you can count 2020. I don't count 2020 for a lot of things. The, the last time we had a competitive Cubs team in September was 2019. And they, of course, had a, a week, a two week stretch that just completely took them out of everything. Yeah. So hopefully we Everybody we enjoy those. We're, we're just we're just bringing up years years of repressed trauma here uh you know i'll never forget 2021 that horrible day game against the brewers where they built a huge lead blew that just allowed what nine ten unanswered they ended up losing without any kind of fight and jed hoyer calls that the day that he retasked the scouts instead of looking for pieces they could trade for to start scouting uh, other teams' systems for who they might want back. It's just amazing. You know, it's not that one game, but that was the straw that broke Jed's camel's back. Because Jed does have a camel, I'm sure. Everybody owns a camel. The last that was memory the of Jake Arrieta for me. That's that right. Game. The last memory of Jake Arrieta. That one game, that was just the tipping point where Jed said, all right, we're not going to be buyers. Start scouting who we might want back in uh, in trades. And uh, as we're talking about players who the Cubs got back in some of those trades, Pete Crow Armstrong, uh, down at double a he hit his first double a home run this season in that same game he made a sterling catch coming in on a ball in right center field he's hitting particularly well to start the season and of course Cade horton last year's first round pick he made his second professional start for the pelicans tonight he went four innings he struck out seven he didn't allow a hit he didn't allow a run he may not be at Bertle beach for very long jeremy i know you're a big minor leagues guy you're big on you know kind of scouting these guys for us in the minor leagues how many more starts are they going to give kate horton at myrtle beach before they decide high a might be a better challenge for him yeah he's that the carolina league is beneath kate horton i can understand why they put him there because you know he last year at oklahoma he really what well, the cups drafted him he was really only had like a month you could argue of being like that guy of being like a top 10 kind of arguable pick. He had just kind of towards the end of the season to the big 12 championship uh, tournament into the NCAA tournament, the college World series. Like it was like, he kind of just took off and took another letter and you're like, okay, well we don't want to push him too hard. We'll see where he is. But like that, he he probably faced some tougher competition in the big 12 in Absolutely. the college series than he did in the low a. So that's not a league. That's not a level that is going to really challenge him. So I expect him to get the bump up pretty soon. I, I can't imagine him having, you know, another two, three starts down there. I imagine him will get bumped up pretty soon. Very impressive though, to see what he has done as, because as I said, the top of this, at the top of the show, like, and as you said, you can only face who you're assigned to face. And if you're going to, 
sign to face people that are beneath you, you need to pound them and you need to beat them. So it's not that, so to see him not, okay, you know, a no hit, a guy, um, a team in low A over four innings, getting those seven strikeouts. Like, yeah, he proved that he's not in the spot he should be. He proved he should be higher up. So that's what you want to see. Absolutely. You want to see a guy kind of telling you that he belongs in a higher level. I agree. I think maybe one more start at Myrtle Beach. The the, the pitch count is starting to climb. The innings starting to climb up a little bit. Two and, a, two, and two thirds innings last time. Four innings tonight as we sit here on the evening of Wednesday the 19th. You know, they'll probably let him go a little bit further next start. And I think if that next start turns out well and he feels good, probably bump him up to South Bend shortly after that. And that's not uh, that's not atypical for a, a polished college pitcher. And even though he's not maybe not got as much polish as certain other pitchers, I don't think that's atypical to bump a guy up who was a great collegiate pitcher versus a prep pitcher uh, quickly at that. But that's what you want your guys to do. You want your guys to show you that they are too low in the system and to bump themselves up. And so far he's doing that. Definitely. I mean, for me, I, I, and I expect him to go to South Bend, uh, but like, I probably wouldn't even start taking like his competition seriously until he probably hits Tennessee double A. Cause like, absolutely. Me, that's probably more on the line of where he should be after facing like, like he played top, tier college baseball teams he played at oklahoma in the big 12 a legitimate conference went to the college world series faced top tier competition so uh he's gonna be what 22 23 years old like i'm gonna once you get to double a it's like okay now we're serious to me so that's kind of how i always view it but one other guy to mention and you mentioned him last week because he had a big three homer game was owen casey who still appears to be hitting the ball pretty hard so that's nice to see for a guy who the cubs traded for to still be out there and doing it as a young guy. He's only like 20 years old. Absolutely. Lots of, lots of great uh, talent, potential impact talent to watch in the Cubs system right now. So of course the Cubs just finished a trip from the bottom of California to the top of California and they come back home, but they bring one of those California teams with them. The Dodgers come in. Uh, I know you and Ronan will be out at uh, that Friday game. And so for your purposes and for Ronan's purposes and for the purposes of any of our listeners, uh, we have, of course, the weather for this four games. weather on Friday, Randall. I, I got the I got the forecast for you right here. We have the weather, of course, for this four-game series against Los Angeles. Uh Courtesy, of course, of Alexander Hall at Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather at Cubs Weather. Always easy to remember the uh, handles because it's the same as the account names. But Alexander provides us the series vibe for this incoming series against the incoming Dodgers. And unfortunately, Alexander describes that vibe as spring slips through our fingertips. I am sorry if we were a sound effect show, we'd toss in the sad trombone here maybe. Thursday night, that is a 6.40 local time start. Thursday looks dicey, but then looking more playable, but increasingly gloomy, chilly, gusty, and cloudy. The, the worst version of the meteorological beetles you can possibly hope for if you are out there at Wrigley, with a slight chance for quicker and lighter showers again Friday and Saturday. At least you stay dry Sunday, but yikes. Uh, Alexander notes here, tell Saya not to text Shohei Otani about the Chicago weather for the next few days. So, of course, the Thursday night, uh, game one of the series, a 6.40 central time start. It'll be 65 degrees. Showers will be likely. Delays or even a postponement are possible. Winds will be out to center field 25 to 35 miles per hour. Friday, the first of three straight 120 games. How glad am I that none of these games are being co-opted by the national broadcasts? Friday at 120, it will be 55 degrees. So bundle up. Jeremy Ronan, one of his favorite topics to talk about. It's easily in his top 50, uh, how you don't dress properly at ball games. I, of course, don't judge. I don't dress properly at ball games. He's but I want to make, by the way. Of course, you don't say. Go on, Jeremy. Tell me other ways in which Ronan is very often completely wrong. But a Friday 120 start, 55 degrees, mostly cloudy, a slight chance of a shower, and the winds will be variable depending on what the lake feels like doing at 10 to 20 miles per hour. Saturday, of course, another 120 start, as it should be. It'll be 49 degrees, even colder. Again, mostly cloudy. Again, a slight chance of a shower. The wind will be blowing out to right field and to the right field corner. 10 to 20 miles per hour, gusting to 30. And then the series finale, Sunday at 120. It will be colder still. 44 degrees, mostly cloudy. Another breezy day with the wind again out to right field or the right field corner at 10 to 20 miles per hour. So you and Ronan, and uh, I know at least one of Ronan's brothers, going to that 
game look like you are actually getting off the easiest. You have the day that will be the warmest of the three day games. You have what looks like a a reasonable chance of precipitation, which is to say not a high chance of precipitation. So just make sure everybody bundles up. Tell Ronan to bundle up because, you know, every accusation is actually an admission from him. So I think he's the one. He's out there in that Denver weather, that 80 degrees. I'm not going to look up what the temperature was in Denver today because that would ruin the narrative. Tell him to bundle up, Jeremy. Tell Ronan to bundle up. Tell him to make sure he dresses warm. But I do hope that you all enjoy that game out there on Friday. I know Ronan, of course, is excited to be back at Wrigley. And who wouldn't be excited to be back at Wrigley? I agree with you, uh, Randall. He should bundle up. He needs to bundle up as the person here who has bare season tickets, who has probably been to the coldest weather games, the most of them than anybody. I, I don't think I need to, to uh, you know, to know when it's going to be cold, but uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for Friday. Uh, 55 degrees, not terrible. Uh, kind of right in line with how it was on opening day, I feel like. Uh, and, uh, you know, hey, maybe if that Thursday game gets rained out. We get a weird situation on Friday. So who knows? We'll see what happens. But uh, I'm excited. Absolutely. You could find yourself as a part of a double header on Friday. Exactly. Uh, so as always, we thank Alexander for the weather. Follow him on Twitter at Alexander Hall. Follow Cubs Weather on Twitter at Cubs Weather. Three wonderful individuals who do run that account. Alexander, Colin, and Andrew. Make sure to follow that account, especially if you are heading out to Wrigley this weekend with the weather potentially being variable uh, follow at Cubs Weather, who will let you know postponements, delays, precipitation, temperature, everything you need if you're planning a trip to Wrigley or any other ballpark, because he's got you covered. He's got you covered. Jeremy, I want to toss two shout outs out there on the way out. One of them is a personal shout out. One of them is a show shout out. A shout out to my dad, who has a birthday tomorrow on the same day that this podcast will go out, April 20th. So uh, happy birthday to my father. And then, of course, a shout out to one of our loyal listeners who is always happy to engage in us. And that, of course, is Stan, who you can find on Twitter at Milbo11. Stan, we always appreciate you listening. We always appreciate you uh, interacting with us, letting us know what you liked about the episode, what you disagreed with. And to all of our loyal listeners out there, you're more than welcome to interact with us too. Like we're not just a Stan shout out show. We will gladly give you a shout out if you bring us criticism or praise from the show. More praise and criticism, please. But we'll gladly give you a shout out as well. We are liberal with the shout outs here. Shout outs don't cost money. We're happy to hand them out like candy. Yeah, I'd like to piggyback on that. Uh, happy birthday, Mr. Sanders. I hope everything's going well. And uh, yeah, Stan, thanks for listening always. So I'll piggyback on those shout outs. All right, that's all we have for you on this latest edition of Behind the Yellow Line. Do find our account on Twitter, at BTYL Podcast. You find game reactions, you find uh, updates on things going around, uh, things going on around the minor league system. We try and keep you informed. We try and entertain you. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, but you can't do it if you don't try. So find us on Twitter, at BTYL Podcast. For Jeremy, I'm Randall. Ronan will be back for the next edition. Thanks for listening as always. Go Cubs, and let's have another great weekend at Wrigley.